Hi, my name is Isaac, lead pastor at New Hope Foursquare Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our Sunday services are at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Find out more at www.inewhope.org. My name is Isaac. I'm the lead pastor. It is a wonderfully sunny summer morning, and you decided to be here. And I think you made a good choice to be with us. Your presence encourages us. And hopefully our presence and the presence of Jesus encourages you. So, yeah, thanks for being here uh, this morning. Um, well, ushers, would you come forward and uh, we'll receive our tithes and offerings. Um, the council and myself, uh, we, we aim to steward the resources of the church to the end of the mission that God has given us, helping people find and follow Jesus. So as you give, you are also participating with God's great mission here on earth. And uh, so thank you for your participation. We ask for your prayers as we steward the resources of the church. It's no small deal. We take it seriously and look forward to seeing how God will continue to use new hope to the ends of affecting the greater community here for Jesus. So Father, as people give, we know that you bless them. Some are giving for the first time. Um, some are resuming their giving as they are catching up to what you are up to in their lives and in the life of the church family. We know that you're blessing those people. I ask that you would give uh, the church council and myself wisdom as we steward these resources. Thank you for an opportunity to reach the world for your son, Jesus Christ. We say this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Well, um, we are in our series uh, called I Am a Church Member, and uh, we're walking through this book together, and the messages on Sunday correspond to the reading we had last week. If you don't have a book and you'd like to get one, um, please let us know. You can make an order at the coffee bar, and uh, we have some more coming in. We, we sold out uh, the first round. So, um, yeah. Uh, so, it's wedding season Yesterday here at New Hope, Luke Ferguson and Gina Dodds were married. Congratulations to them. And Trish was the officiant here. And I was up at Silver Falls where John Friend and Rebecca Larson tied the knot. It was a beautiful wedding up there. So congratulations to them as well. Uh, also, uh, Abe Pfeiffer, Abe Pfeiffer pastored New Hope for about eight years before I came, uh, almost a couple of years ago. It's his birthday today. And I think that we should tell him, we should tell him happy birthday. Um, so do you think I should FaceTime him? That'd be fun, okay. FaceTime Abe Pfeiffer. Which Abe Pfeiffer? Which Abe Pfeiffer, okay, all right. Let's see if he answers. That'd be really fun if, if he does, but yeah. He's on East Coast time, so I don't know. Are they going to bed right now? I don't know. It's down. Yeah. Oh, no way. Abe Pfeiffer. Abe, I am just, hey, so you want to say hi to everybody? Go ahead, Abe. Say hi. Hi, everybody. Oh, look at that. <laughs> So we're going to sing happy birthday to you because it's your birthday. Abe, how old are you turning? Is it 62? Is that right? Yeah. Does it go backwards? Yeah, does it go backwards once you hit 40? Yeah, that's right. It goes backwards once you hit 40. Yeah, okay. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Abe. Happy birthday to you. Well, we love you. Hope your birthday has been fantastic. Did you get a big gift or anything? Did I get a big what? Gift. Oh, I got a big gift. Yeah, I uh, actually have some new hopers coming over here in a little bit. The cuppers are coming through. So. Oh, really? Yeah. You got the gift of people. That is. By the way, uh, we got our other new hope pastors here, Larry. Oh my goodness, Larry and Sue are there too. Larry, it's Larry Spousta. Larry planted this church uh, in 1978, a 
a while ago. That was the year I was born. <laughs> Just <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, that's right, that's right. So, oh, oh, fantastic. Well, happy birthday, Abe. We're gonna get on with our service, but um, I love it. yeah. I love you guys. All right, take care. We'll see you later. Bye. 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 Wasn't that fun? Oh, we tried to FaceTime him in the first service and it didn't work, but he must like you guys better. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Well, we, we need you to use your phones this morning. So would you take out your phone, make sure you have it with you. You're going to get a chance to interact with what is happening here in, in just uh, a moment. And in order to join that conversation... Um, here's the directions. Here's how you join the conversation. <clears throat> there it is. To the number 22333, you text Isaac Hovitt 833, and then you'll get a confirmation that you have joined the conversation. Okay, so again, text to the number 22333, text Isaac Hovitt 833 to that number, and you'll get a confirmation that says you've now joined the conversation. And you're going to be able to send in some votes, and um, we're going to get to hear from you a little bit this morning. And it's a rather trusting thing that I'm doing, because the first question that we're going to ask you in just a moment is, uh, you can text whatever you want. So be creative, but also let's be kind and considerate and appropriate and all those things. Okay. Um, you know, we are not a uniform people. We are not all the same. We come in all shapes and sizes with all sorts of ideas about the world, all sorts of perspectives. And um, this morning, you're going to get a chance to see a little bit of our uh, diversity. And uh, so if anybody has got the confirmation that they're in the conversation, just see, yeah, okay, we got several people that are getting in. Yeah, you can feel free to join as... As we go, okay, so the first, the first question that you can text in a response to is the question, here it is, what did you eat for breakfast today? Somebody, yeah, okay, ooh, breakfast burrito, okay, keep them coming, they'll appear in here as you send it in. <coughs> ooh, coffee, banana, arepas, what is that? Arepas, ooh. What is that? Is that Spanish for something that I would know? No, it's Venezuelan. Oh, it's a Venezuelan dish. Okay. It must have come from you guys over here. I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah. Okay. Wow. We got Cheerios and yogurt, avocado toast, nothing. Several people writing nothing. This is why you are hangry when you come to church. You're just, you, you should, you should eat. Okay. Um, somebody, okay. I can't read the emojis there. Uh, chai tea and Tic Tacs. <laughs> is that, I would assume it's in that order too. It's chai tea and then the Tic Tacs. Okay, that was probably better for everyone. All right, not a stinking thing. I mean, that's just, yeah, somebody's, yeah, somebody's. A half cup of walnuts. Thank you for the detail. You may be counting your walnut intake and we appreciate knowing that. Um, our Rice Krispie treat. It's kind of like a breakfast food with a dessert twist, right? Okay. Oh, very good. All right. Isalian shake? Isalian shake? I'm not sure what that is. Yeah. Fruit Loops. All right. Well, this is interesting. You're getting the hang of it. And uh, yeah. Okay. So here's the next one. Which team do you root for? A, Oregon. B, the Beavers. C, the Washington Huskies. All right, let's see how this goes. Yeah, this is fun to watch these results. People are pushing in. I think you can only vote once, just so you know. So some of you are like trying to elevate the beavers, but yeah, oh, it's, yeah. Oh, here's a Husky fan. All right, interesting. Yep, all right. Oh, this poll is full and no longer accepting responses. Alrighty. Well, I, there's only one wrong answer there, and and somebody got it wrong. But that's that's okay. Well, no. Would anybody like to courageously admit that they're the Husky fan? I think that's that's great. Is it, okay. No, it's not. Right here, go Huskies. All right. Yeah. Welcome. We are a diverse, welcoming bunch. So yeah. Okay. Uh, the next one. Where do you live? 
Okay, so A is gonna be Dallas, Monmouth, Independence, Woodburn, Albany, Jefferson. Yeah, you guys get it. Silverton, Amity, Sio, Mount Angel, Sublimity. Yep, okay, the responses are coming in. Um, man, this is the Kaiser service. Yeah, I told you we'd show up. <laughs> okay, oh, this poll is full and no longer. Man, Kaiser like really lost in the first service. Yeah, so I don't know how long it takes to get from Kaiser. <laughs> or how long you all need to sleep because you're on well water out there or whatever. I, I don't know what the deal is, but you're all coming to the second service. Yeah, so very good. Are you walking here? Is that what's happening? It's interesting though, because we are a very diverse geographic group. Uh, the radius of, of New Hope, I mean, you look at Dallas, Monmouth, Independence, Woodburn, Albany, Jefferson, in the previous service, there was a large group that was represented there. We come from a long ways away. It's, it's something about our church, which is interesting. Many of us don't know each other other than outside of what happens at the church. And that's not a right or a wrong thing. That's just an observation that we have a wide representation of, uh, yeah. Okay, so this next one is a, is a little bit more, I don't know, it's a little weightier, maybe. Um, and so we'll be kind to each other. There might be some surprises that we see here. And the next question is, where do you get your news? So Fox News, TD, CNN, NBC, Telemundo, Google News, uh, Apple News, social media. Yep, and uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. You'll see how it plays out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you probably... Yeah, that's, that's fine. Yeah, you don't have to vote on this. Okay, so that, I think we filled, up our, we filled up our quota. Interesting. Okay, so that is, which is, social media is 42%. So what is that the 4%? Would something disappear? Okay, that's a four. Google News is 24%? I'm going to, I'm going to look at this. Okay, so I want to be accurate here. Okay, so yeah, <coughs> Google News, yeah, that's the 24%. Okay, all righty, well, it's, it's, that's interesting. It's interesting to see that your perspective, your view, how you're getting information, where you live, the vantage point that you have when you come here, it's varied and it's different. The question is, um, why are you talking about this, Isaac? <laughs> I love our diversity, which we could ask even more questions and see more diversity here from a lot of different vantage points. But diversity will always make unity a challenge. Diversity will always make unity a challenge. It's easier to be unified with people that are like you who think like you, who look like you, who have the same vantage point on life. But um, that isn't what is true about God's church ever, and maybe more particularly now, and even more specifically, here at New Hope. So I want to further the point and talk about our thinking in our culture, because we are increasingly becoming tribalized. And what I mean by that is we're increasingly being taught to think, we'll see here in a moment how this happens, taught to think um, around and like people who already think and who are around us in a certain way. And so we become a tribe that is very distinct from this tribe over here. We're becoming more tri tribalized. Here's how this works in summary and illustratively. So we'll use person one and person two as an example. Both person one and person two um, subscribe to social media and get news, a lot of that coming through uh, the internet. And so let's say person two, they do this. They do a Google search for University of Oregon gear. They were among the 50 whatever percent of those who chose, I won't say right or wrong, just, yeah. The Beavers did win the national championship in baseball. I don't know if you're aware of that. Yeah! That's right. Okay, um, so person one does that. Person two looks up 
Oregon State gear on Google. This is what happens. The, the mind of the internet, whoever's in charge of the internet, begins to curate your digital experience according to what you are searching for. So this is what happens. Person number two looked up the Oregon stuff. Facebook looks a little bit more like an Oregon duck. Uh, Google News is more likely to return um, news articles around the Oregon ducks, uh, social media, etc. Person number one has a converse experience. The world begins to look like their preference, begins to look like what they are interested in. And so when they log on to Facebook or look up news things, it, it begins to look like the world thinks like they do. Your, the internet's amazing algorithms curate your digital experience so that your preference or your prejudice is confirmed. The world starts to look a lot like you in our digital experience. This significantly affects the way we think because also what happens is now if you like a certain article or comment or post on Facebook, then Facebook then returns you more articles and comments who are, which are already similar to that. And so your Facebook or your social media experience becomes, again, like the world thinks like you do. And it keeps going. And it causes for you to be confused when others really don't think like you. Because your experiences, there's a lot of people, maybe the most people, that think like me. The world begins to seem like it agrees with you. And when this is the case, you become more and more surprised when others responding from a differently curated world express their sense of reality. They seem to be as biased as you are. <laughs> they seem to be, whoa, you really think that? Hmm. Well, all this is interesting, of course, but what bearing does it have on our discussion this morning? I am increasingly convinced that our tribalized minds are increasingly unable to discern and handle the plurality of viewpoints that are natural to humans. We tend to look for tribes who think like us, our digital experience misleads us into thinking that we can or should find a group of people who think in a homogenized way. They think the same, thinking like we do. And then we come into church with similar thoughts. Unconsciously, I think mostly, we come into church with an expectation that these, this group of people probably thinks like what I do. Michael Lynch, in his uh, 2015 book, The Internet of Us, he, he comments, the real worry is that the internet is increasing group polarization, that we are becoming increasingly isolated tribes. Have you noticed that happening within our world? We're more polarized than ever. Our differences are more felt and expressed than ever. There is a sense that we probably need to be against them, whoever the them might be. But that is very different than the story of the New Testament. When Jesus came, everything changed. And the rest of the New Testament is the story, the account of previously irreconcilable groups who were unified into one body. Previously, totally unable to interact with one another, who were then unified into one body. This is the story of Jesus' church. People who were racially and ethnically divided against each other, who were now brought into one body and one relationship. Men and women who had very different rights and privileges, men winning all the time. Now through the gospel of Jesus, men and women are seen as equally valuable. We see the seeds of it in the New Testament with what Jesus did. The rich and the poor 
separated against one another largely because of a thought that if you are rich, it's because the gods have favored you. If you are poor, it's because you are out of favor. But Jesus came and he brought the social outcast. He brought those who were poor, who had nothing. He gave them value and then taught a gospel that brought validity to all people. That we are all created as equal before God. These groups were against each other. But Jesus brought them together. I'll illustrate further from scripture around these three points. First of all, Jews and Gentiles. In in the book of Acts, which is the story of the early church after Jesus rose from the dead, there's these accounts of the Jews and the Gentiles now uh, being put together. And the Gentiles, those who are non-Jew, most of us are probably non-Jew, being um, given an opportunity to understand this good God. And so there's an account of Peter, who was a follower of Jesus, who was a Jew, and Cornelius, who was a Gentile, and then he was an officer uh, for the Roman Empire's army. And God brings them together. It's just amazing. I don't think that we can quite grasp how weighty this is. If you've been around church, you're like, okay, there's, yeah, I remember that story, and these things happened. If you haven't been around church, I hope that you're recognizing that any idea of racial reconciliation starts with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Peter's kind of confused and surprised by all what is happening. Why have you come? They said, we were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. Jewish law says don't even associate with Gentiles. And now God is bringing these people together. He says, I'm a Roman officer. And as a Roman officer, he was also probably... Um, the Roman Empire was the oppressive occupying force of a land. This was not a kind relationship between these two. A Roman officer, he is devout and God-fearing man, well but respected by the Jews. You see the impulse towards unity. And holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message. Jews and Gentiles being brought together, previously irreconcilable groups unified into one body. Men and women. As I mentioned, women had very few rights. In a courtroom, for example, a woman during the time of Jesus, her testimony often wouldn't be valid unless it was validated by a man's testimony. But Jesus was interacting with women in a new and a profound way. He broke social mores of the time. He showed his radical willingness to go and bring validity to women. I would argue that the women's suffrage movement and women having equal, the same rights as men started with Jesus Christ. There's been no other figure in history that has brought that kind of validity to all people. And so now we want women to have equal rights as men because of Jesus, bringing unity to his creation that he loved. One example, there's many throughout the gospels. Um, This is Jesus's dying on the cross. And many women who had come from Galilee with Jesus to care for him were watching from a distance. Among them, Matthew, the gospel writer, takes pains to record this. He wants us to know. Among them were, there were many women. And if you were reading it at the time and you had these prejudices, they had this, okay, wow, there's women that were involved. They're important. They're recorded in history, not just the men. Among them are Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Previously irreconcilable groups being unified. And finally, the rich and the poor. As I mentioned, to be poor in this culture, in this era, meant there was something wrong with you and you should get your act together. But early on in the church, there's this impulse towards caring and treating the poor as fellow brothers and sisters. James, uh, the brother of Jesus, is writing to the early church. And the book of James is a bit hard to read because he's straight to it. And he's talking with them about how they're treating these classes and how there isn't an equality among them. And he says, for example, suppose someone comes to your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and then another one comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. <laughs> they must have sounded that poor <laughs> badly. Doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by m- evil motives? Previously, irreconcilable groups. Jesus now bringing equality, now bringing unity. This becomes 
the emerging impulse of the church to unify because of Jesus. If this is true, and I believe it is, then we should attribute temptations to disassociate, demean, and disparage differently-minded people as the works of Satan. Satan is the one who came to kill and steal and, and steal and destroy and to divide us against each other. In other words, it is satanic to insulate ourselves with the echoes of our own thoughts and demonize everyone else. On the one hand, this demonization misleads others about our Lord and Master Jesus Christ. That the witness of Jesus Christ was one that included all these disparate groups and different groups, that the witness of who he is and his lordship is, is tarnished when we choose to be against them, whoever them or that or they is, are. <laughs> Lost track of my conjugation. <laughs> On the other hand, that kind of mindset, that satanic mindset that is always trying to divide and accuse them, it furthers the fissures and cracks and divides that Jesus has come to reconcile to himself and to each other. Hmm. To be a part of the body of Christ, the church, is to be a part of a radical prophetic movement where the rest of the world divides and opposes those who are different than them. In the church of Jesus Christ, we welcome those who are different because we are unified, not by ourselves and our ideas, but we are unified by Jesus Christ himself. This is the impulse of the local church. This is what we will continue to contend for. This is what we believe will be a healing balm in a world that is continually being fragmented by the enemy of our souls, Satan himself. Hmm. Well, Edda and I are in together. Everybody look around at the people around you. Look around. Yeah, some of you are stubborn and resistant and okay. <laughs> now I'll tell you, don't look around. And those of you who are stubborn are like, mm, I'm looking now. <laughs> tell me what to do. <laughs> Sitting around you are incredibly diverse people. I would guess that our diversity would cause you to squirm on some level. You might even be incredulous to learn what the person next to you thinks about this or that. But that shouldn't scare you. Because we are the kind of community that Jesus prayed for. In John 17 is recorded the prayer of Jesus, a long prayer of Jesus before he went to the cross. And he's praying for us. In John 17, he says, <clears throat> John recording his prayer, says, I'm not only praying for these disciples, but also for all who would ever believe in me through their message. That's us. Listen to what he prays. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, listen, so the world will believe you sent me. There's something about our unity in the midst of our diversity that is a testament to the validity of Jesus being God's son and sent to the earth. There's something about that that testifies to a world that is fragmented and broken, that God is good and he loves and he's bringing us in to unity. Notice that he doesn't pray that they would all be the same. And I pray that they would be the same, especially on political matters at hand. <laughs> it's not his prayer. Pray that they would all be uniform, losing their particular and individual identifications. They would be robots. He says that they would be distinctly one as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. Amen. That there would be a unity within our own plurality. 
That's the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, distinctly individual persons of the Godhead, but all together one. That is what Jesus is calling his church to be, that we would be that prophetic community on earth that welcomes all for the sake of the gospel. Well, this is what chapter two is all about, unity in the church. And it is my heart and my desire that we see that this unity in the church is not, well, we want to be kind and get, you know, get along and it'll be nice and friendly when other people come on. They'll see our niceness and our friendliness. Yes, we want all of that. But we, I want you to wrestle with it even deeper. That unity in the church is a direct defiance to the God of this age, Satan himself. And unity in the church is directly correlated to the witness of Jesus in this world. We must contend for unity in the church. Where Paul writes, he says, do everything, everything to retain the unity of the peace that comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to elevate our expectation of how we contribute to unity in the midst of our plurality and our diversity. Edda, we got some more people who are with us now. There's a few more. Yeah. In the, in the book, Rainer gets right to the point when he says, you have a responsibility as a church member. You are to be a source of unity. You are never to be a divisive. I say divisive. Divisive? I think you're all wrong. That's what I think. <laughs> See how I did that? I set them up. Yeah. <laughs> you are to love your fellow church members unconditionally. And why this doesn't mean you agree with everyone all the time, it does mean you are willing to sacrifice your own preferences to keep unity in the church. This isn't for the faint of heart. This isn't for the consumer who just wants church kind of on their terms and if this church is doing good for me, but it's for the committed. See, the consumer looks, do they meet my needs? The committed says, how can I meet the needs? Do you understand the difference? It will require something of us. And I want to talk about the older generation here at New Hope that I'm so proud of. I'm proud of the older generation because many of the older generation are modeling for us what it means to keep unity by sacrificing their preferences. Thank you. Many of you who are in the older generation are enduring at times a church that is disproportionately focused on the young because you, under, you know that the church passing down what has been given to us is the main mission of the church, which means that your preferences, ideals, what you would want, and even what you need are not going to be accommodated because we're reaching the next generation. Many in this church specifically have shown the way of what it means to sacrifice personal preference for the sake of unity in the church. And I want to say thank you. Many of our young people may never specifically know what it required of you, but that's not the point. They will inherit a church that has been geared towards them so that they can experience the goodness of God. Hmm. Having a bigger vision for Jesus than our preferences. Well, Scott Callantine, who's one of our emerging leaders, he is going to introduce some more thoughts uh, for us. Would you welcome Scott Callantine to the stage? Hello, everyone. Um, hey. So, like you said, my name is Scott. Um, some of you know me, some of you may not. Um, I'm younger than probably most of you. Um, I'm a millennial. I'm a, I'm a member of New Hope, and I have been a youth leader for about four and a half years now. I currently attend school to become a full-time pastor um, and be in vocational ministry. That's what God has called for my life. Um, and so I want to share some stuff with you that I've been learning. Um, but first I'm going to start Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, not, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, 
and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Our race, the New Hope race, is helping people find and follow Jesus. But I've noticed in the midst of this race that people let things disrupt the race, such as race, ethnicity, finances, politics, style, and even sports. Go Ducks. <laughs> so there's a, there's a spectrum that I've learned that has helped me to understand this better. The first level of the spectrum is preference. Things that we prefer to have happen, but they are not a necessity to happen. An example could be the style of worship songs, church attire, what we dress like, maybe the way the sermon is, if Isaac's funny or not. <laughs> the, the second level is our debate. It's more important than just a preference but we're not ready to reach the third level with that. A debate could be uh, the role of women in the church, how significant that should be. It should be a lot. Um, <laughs> homosexuality in the church, gender identification. This is to 2018, and those are real conversations that need to take place. Divide is the third tier. You feel so strongly about this topic that you are willing to leave, to walk away. Some divides could be if someone preached Jesus as a concept and not a real person that came and died. Could be the Holy Spirit. Is, does he work today or not? Those could be things you could divide about. So I have three questions for each of us. What are your preferences? What are your debates? And what are your divides? What will you divide for? I want to tell you guys a story, though. So if you know me, you know that I love rap music and hip-hop. Uh, it's my jam. It's the best. Um, everything else is like, okay, I guess. Um, so you can imagine when I'm in the car and I'm given the aux cord, which you plug into your phone. I, I heard some people in first service didn't know what that means. Aux cord, you plug into your phone so you can play music. Um, you're given that, that's a big responsibility, okay? You are deciding what music is played for the journey ahead. And recently I went on a vacation uh, with my homies right here, Lainey, Craig, Jen was there. You weren't in the car though. Um, and in the car, Craig and, Jen, or Craig and Lainey here, we were jamming probably about two hours of rap music in, <laughs> and Lainey wanted to change the, the music. So I was like, okay, I guess. <laughs> And she wanted to listen to worship music. Not that that's bad, but it's not rap music. So I was like, ugh, fine, sure. So the rest of the trip, we finished with some worship music. Thank you, Jesus. Um, but my preference was something less somber and more hyped. Yet I had to put aside my preferences and compromise because my preference was not the most important thing. Mm. In the church, it's easy to see the correlation of music. We have worship every Sunday. Some people like it how it is. Some people want it louder, quieter. They want more hymns. Personally, turn the lights down, get some strobe lights going on, a smoke machine, and let's go crazy. I mean, Jesus, we should go crazy for Jesus no matter what. But that's just my preference. I don't let my preferences divide my relationship with Jesus. Mm. It's easy to focus on what divides us as people, but with our eyes on Jesus, we can look past the division and focus on unity. I promise you that we have differences and disagreements. Maybe you disagree with what I'm saying right now. Mm. But I also promise you that we have the same Jesus who can transcend any difference. Amen. So I have three closing questions that I want you guys to think about. The first one is, just think about your preferences, your debates, and your divides. The second one, are these things that can or currently do hinder your relationship with Jesus? And thirdly, what commitment level are you currently at with your local church? 
Maybe you do not attend New Hope. Maybe you do. You should attend New Hope. But <laughs> what is your current level of involvement in New Hope or your local church? Mm-hmm. Um, and with that, I would like to pray and then give it back to Isaac here. Dear Lord, um, thank you for the opportunity to just come up and share some things that you have taught me through school um, and influential people in my life. I pray that you would convict us of what our preferences, debates, and divides are and tell us why those are the way they are. And then if change needs to occur, that you work in that space, that we create that opportunity for change to occur. We love you and we give you all the praise. In your name, amen. Amen. Super job, Scott. Thank you for sharing. It's awesome stuff. And these are helpful thoughts for us as we uh, <clears throat> get to the right page. You don't want me to preach last week's sermon again. Okay, there we go. <clears throat> yeah, great thoughts. Our founder, Amy Semple McPherson, she's known for saying this. Uh, we're part of the Foursquare family of churches. Um, she said, in essential doctrines of Christ, let there be unity. These are the things that we would divide over. Who is Jesus? He's the son of God come to rescue mankind from the enslavement of sin. That's, that's Jesus. And the non-essentials, how do you do church? How do you organize? How the church gatherings are structured? How leadership works out? All that. Let there be liberty. In other words, there's a lot of good and right answers to those things. And then she said, in all things, charity, which is an old fashioned word for love. Let there be love among all things. I think one of the things that Scott pointed out the divide list should be pretty small. That's a really small list. And yet, we as consumers, we're taught to be consumers in our world, we tend to live out of our preferences. We tend to live out of what we think things should be like, and then to consider dividing, leaving a church over our preferences. And I think that that breaks the heart of God. And I'm not in here to strong arm you to stay at New Hope or something like that, but I would ask you to really consider what it is that you are willing to divide for. The world needs to see a unified church. Hmm. So thank you, Scott, for helping with, with that. Well, Rainer gets to one more thing that I want to address just briefly over the next couple of minutes. He talks about unforgiveness being something that will divide the church. And I have seen how forgiveness, members walking in forgiveness together, it, it expands and extends the ministry of the church. And I have seen how unforgiveness stagnates the ministry of the church. A few years ago, a key leader and I um, down at Cottage Grove Faith Center, where I used to pastor, we both strong leaders and we got into this, you know, went back and forth about this thing and then... Have you ever done one of those? <laughs> okay, that's, that's the sound effect that accompanies that. <laughs> and a few days later, you know, we were both a little like, mm, you know, that feeling like, I don't know if I want to talk to you ever again. You know, like, <laughs> but we went for a six mile walk together with my wife, Danya, as the mediator between us. It wasn't like we were trying to beat each other up, but we were both, we needed to express honestly. And so we did, and on that six-mile walk, we extended forgiveness and grace towards each other. We again realized we're on the same team. I'm sorry I did this. I'm sorry I did this. Oh, will you forgive me? We're hugging, and we are still great friends, and his leadership at Cottage Grove was so important for the church moving forward. I'm so glad that we chose the road of forgiveness. I've seen it on the other end, too, with some other leaders down in Cottage Grove that was... A small offense became a big thing and created disunity and harm and stagnated the ministry of the church. Rainer gets to it. He says, every local church is made up of imperfect members, and I put this in bold for you, (laughs) and imperfect pastors. (laughs) We all make mistakes, or we will make mistakes. We will all sin. Yes, We should read this out loud together. We are all hypocrites. Yeah. Church unity is torn apart when members refuse to forgive. When any member is too prideful to grant forgiveness. 
Remember, Christ loved us so much that he died on a cross to forgive us. And now, as he has forgiven us, so we must forgive others, he says. This comes right from scripture, Paul writing to the church in Colossae, in Colossians 3.13. He says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive some of those who offend you. No, forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Did somebody just like him to their like spouse or something? <laughs> or was that just a <laughs> little bit of elbowing going on? Yeah. Because of what Jesus has done, the expectation on forgiveness between Christ's followers is incredible. Peter asked one time, oh, how often should I forgive? You know, like seven times? And Jesus is like, how about 70 times seven times? Which is a euphemism or a, a figure of speech for infinity. How about you always forgive? Jesus goes on to say, I mean, this is what he said. This is Jesus. He said it. He said, if you refuse to forgive others, our God in heaven will not forgive you. I don't know how that reconciles theologically. I can't make sense of that. But I can say with certainty that Jesus elevates our expectation of forgiveness, that we should contend for forgiveness. We'll talk about this more in uh, two weeks. Um, there's a chapter on praying for your pastor, and we'll talk a little bit about the pastor. But I recognize that I, as the most public figure in the church, can make a lot of offense. <laughs> I strive to be a unifier in the church. That's, that's my goal, to have us moving ahead. But also as a preacher, I am also called to lead us into account before Jesus, according to what scripture says. And to be willing to courageously step on your toes at times. My model is Jesus. Everybody loved Jesus. And then he would like challenge everybody. It's also the prophets in the Old Testament who held into account the ruling authorities who confronted them when they, when, they, when they saw that they were missing the heart of God. And so as a preacher, I recognize I am going to make you uncomfortable at times and I'm okay with that. However, I'm also a human being and I misspeak. You are also a human being and at times you mishear and that can create offense. You see how it goes both ways? So in a moment, I'll invite you to seek forgiveness, seek my, <laughs> reconciliation. <laughs> I want you to forgive me, I guess is what I'm saying. And I may need to forgive you for misunderstanding. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's real. This is real. Okay, so some thoughts this next week in terms of how to apply this. First of all, unity is not uniformity. Consider carefully what is preference, what is something worth debating, that we should have opinions and engage with each other. And then that small list, what is worth dividing over? Secondly, this week, the question, do you need to reconcile with someone in the church? This week, I invite you to make a step in that direction. Knowing that your reconciliation is more than just about you and a person getting along, but it's something about the whole church. It's something actually about the global church and the unity that we can have in Jesus. Don't let a small festering malign the witness of Jesus in the world. And third, <laughs> perhaps I, Isaac, have offended you. I would love to talk more. One, I can't know your offense, um, even if I was present in the room when it happened. I would like you to email me to arrange a time to talk further. And I would say, I, I've said this before, but I'm the only one that can say this. I am one of the kindest people to confront that I've ever met. <laughs> you won't know it until you have the courage to come talk to me 
And I wish there was a way that I could like make you do it so that you could experience that. It's often a very lovely experience of humility and forgiveness. And some of those meetings that I've had with people have ended in laughter, many of them in hugs, because we realize that Jesus is unifying us. I do not think that I am right about all things. And I recognize one of the things about me is I come off very secure and certain. So you may feel like, huh, how could I deal with that? You can deal with that because I will listen. I will listen. God has taught me to use these two years. Okay. I think I've said enough there. Well, this week, I'd like for us to leave with these thoughts. Everyone wanted to be around Jesus, it seems to me, as I read the Gospels, because he included them, these wildly disparate groups of people that were flocking to see him. But it also seems to me that Jesus challenged every person around him. What if we are like Jesus, radically included, radically including, and yet deeply challenged to be different than what is normal in our world? And what if our main difference was this, our love for one another in spite of our many, many differences? What if that was the hallmark of New Hope Foursquare Church? What if that's what people began to experience? They got to know you and you from New Hope and oh my gosh, you guys are part of the same church. You're so different. And then they saw the love and the respect and the value and the honor that existed between you. That would say something to them in a world that is starved for that kind of unity because it can only be found through Jesus Christ. We have an opportunity to be a prophetic witness in our world. And I invite you to be a part of that kind of church. Let's make New Hope that kind of church. It's a church I wanna be a part of. And I think it's a church that Jesus is proud of because of that, expressing unity to the world. Father, thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for your grace and love that is extended to each one of us. I pray that you would help us as we are on our way, as we are discovering, as we are being challenged within our thoughts and our prejudices and our misconceptions. I ask that you would lead us forward individually and then us as a whole. May we be known by our love for one another, our grace, our kindness, our willingness to have honest and difficult conversations so that we can work towards unity. We love you very much. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Yeah. Well, Brett and the team are gonna lead us in a worship response song. And the words are, I wanna be close to you. And I encourage you, sing with gusto these songs, this song, because it is only Jesus and our closeness to him that will make us be able to reconcile to one another. Let's stand and let's sing as Brett leads us.